And I'm excited. Uh, we're we're going to be continuing through our teaching in First Peter, and this has just been such a dynamic book, especially this, these last handful of weeks. We've been going um, through this section called Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society, and it's, it's been really informative. It's been challenging. It's been powerful, and, and we're going to kind of bring that piece to a conclusion today. And, and really up to this point, we, we've kind of looked at this, this passage at an individual level. Um, where it's how do we negotiate authority, how do we negotiate in our vocation when we have unjust, unfair suffering and things that happen, how are we responding. Uh, we've looked at this in terms of marriage, and, and today we're going to look at it more of, at a collective sense. Uh, what does it mean to be the community, a godly community, a church in uh, a, a pagan society? And so we're going to be looking at this this very new and early church um, that, that First Peter writes this letter to. Many books of the new, in the New Testament were written as letters to young churches who are learning how to be the church of Jesus, how to be a godly community and a pagan society. And we're going to look at, at what they did, who they were, and, and really specifically looking at, at three themes that defined that church and that still define us as the church of Jesus today. And uh, later in this, this gathering, we're also going to be hearing from, from someone who uh, represents one of our, our ministry partners and, and, and kind of give us a little wider context um, for what we're going to be reading today. So if you've got a Bible, um, flip to 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's, we, we slap it on the screen. We also have uh, Bibles available in, on the shelves in the wings here. And if by some chance you don't own a Bible, go ahead and grab one of these off the wing and write your name in it. It, it now belongs to you. Um, but, but get to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8. It says this. <clears throat> Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary... Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. So Peter is writing to this, this new and emerging community, this, this thing called a church. And, and, and as we talk about church, I think it's, it's necessary to kind of define what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. Um, Mosaic, we, we, we are church, and we've been given this amazing gift in this building right here in the heart of Portland. It's been such a tool to, to reach neighborhoods and, and to be a place that's, that's uh, communicating the gospel Sunday after Sunday right here. But if for some reason in the middle of the night this building just went away, guess what? We'd still be the church. The church isn't a building. It's not a name. It is people. It is people unified around the gospel of Jesus. That we believe he lived a perfect life. That he went to the cross. God rose him from the dead. And by him, by proclaiming his name and believing in him, we are saved. That is the church. 
people unified around that truth and that vision. And the church, this, this, this group of people that Peter is writing to, he's not writing so that they can be exclusive and set apart from everyone else and no one can be a part of their club. Right? He's not writing, hey, this is who you guys are going to be. Uh, go ahead and lock the doors and hide yourself inside. In fact, it's, it's just the opposite. The church, the group, the community he's writing about has huge front doors open to anyone and everyone. The church is where we belong. If you're here and, and, and you would say, yes, I want to be unified around what we believe about Jesus and, and I want to worship in that way, you're in the right spot. If you're here and you're just testing out those claims that Jesus is the one true son of God and, and through him we're saved, you're, you're in the right spot. If you're here and someone, a friend, a spouse, or a parent has drug you here and you're not sure why you're here, you're in the right spot. Grab a cup of coffee and, and, and come along for the ride because this, this is what the church this is what the church is, a group of people unified around the, the reality of who Jesus is. And so Peter's writing this, this letter to this brand new community, this brand new church, and, and he is telling them that, that, hey, if you guys believe this and you come together, you form something. Okay, in, in the previous chapter, in, in um, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So we remember, we've, we've talked about in the past weeks that, that um, th this area, the, the cities that, that Peter's written this letter to are um, in present-day Turkey, and it's an area that had been conquered by Rome. And Rome, this was kind of their strategy, right? They, they would expand their kingdom, they would go into a new territory, and they'd say, I got good news and bad news. The good news is, you can be part of us. You can join into our customs, you can worship the way we worship, you can think the way that we think, we're very generous, you can be part of us. The bad news is if you choose not to, we're going to wipe you off the face of the earth. So, you know, um, yeah, people kind of had to go along with what Rome was doing, and in doing so, many of these people are losing their sense of identity, they're lost, and, and now Peter says, no, 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 you were once not a people, but now you're God's people. You're a community. You're the church. And so there's implications to this reality that, that if this is true, if, if, if these are God's people and we are God's people, then, then we are given a new identity, a new purpose. There's a reason why we gather together. There's a reason why we lean in with a sense of belonging to this thing called the church. We are given a new mission. We exist for a purpose. And I think that we could surmise all of the reasons why we exist into to three really simple statements. We exist, firstly, to worship God. We exist to worship God. We exist to build one another, to build and encourage one another, and we exist for the mission of Jesus. This is what the church is. This is our identity. For us to submit to God, to come under his mission, this is what it is, to worship him, to build up one another, and to engage in the mission of Jesus. And so with our time this morning, we're going to walk through these statements and kind of look at the implications of what it means to be people who do these things. In this first one, we are people who worship God. We exist for the worship of God. Now, what does this word worship mean? Uh, we, we, um, when we gather here, and, and I love that we do this, we get to sing these songs, and the band leads us in all these awesome songs, and we get to sing, I have a reason to sing, and to celebrate, and talk about God's amazing grace, and that is one of the primary ways that we get to worship, but, but our worship goes beyond that. Worship is anything that we're bringing value to. 
that we're recognizing as something that's other, that's, that's holy, that's, that's better, and we're responding with gratitude, we're responding with praise and with worship. For these people, in, in 1 Peter, we read this in, in chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, listen, you, you were called to declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness, out of loneliness, into his wonderful light, into being his people. That God has done this thing for you, that, that he's called you out of your lostness, out of the darkness, to be a part of his family, to be his people, and for that reason, declare his praises. This is what we do. This is who we are, people who declare his praises. If you study uh, much church history, if you ha haven't, you can uh, get a book and it'd be fun, fun read for you. But uh, if you haven't studied much church history, you, you'll, you'll see that, that the first century of church was, was tested mightily. The first century, the first generation of church, of people who said, we are God's people, this is our mission, it was tested mightily with persecution. In fact, the leader of, of Rome at this time, a, a man named Nero, did terrible things to Christians. Terrible, unspeakable ways of putting them to death, taking their possessions, taking their land, uh, dishuffling them and, and moving them around and doing all of these things. And it, common sense would say, well, the church should have just gone away. Like if, if the church is just a place where we, we hang out, it's, it's our club, it's, it's what we do, it's our thing, with that kind of oppression, it, it should have just gone away, and yet we read in the first 300 years of church history, it spread like wildfire in, in, in the midst of, of suffering and of torturing. It spread like wildfire. Why? Because these people were in awe of who God was. He wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just a code of ethics, things to believe, even just ways to live. Now, th th those things can go away under perse persecution. They were in awe of who God was. And so they had no choice. They had no choice but to defer to him as king. Rome, you're really scary. All of this is really scary. All this is really difficult. But, but what can I do? Look at him. He's God. He's creator of everything. He sustains everything. We worship him. We adore him. And throughout scripture, from beginning to end, the people of God are called to respond to God's glory, his sovereignty, and his goodness. And so are we. So are we. This is one of the primary reasons why we exist, so that we can praise and bring glory and worship and thankfulness to our God passionately, enthusiastically, sometimes maybe even a little irreverent, that we're bringing praise and worship to our God. You know, my, my hope is, my desire, that, that, that people who maybe walk by our building on a Sunday morning, we have all the doors open, and maybe they're going to uh, the bakery over here to get a croissant or something, we might look like we're, we're a little bit off kilt, right? We're in here singing, clapping, raising our hands, and proclaiming these words. And, 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 and okay, we, we might look a little different and weird to our city, but my hope is they see us and say, I think that they believe these words about their God, that they're devout in their worship. They're devout in their response to who God is. They look like convinced people. One of my, my favorite stories from the Old Testament is about this king named David, and we read about this in 2 Samuel 6. 
Um, David is, is a king, and at this time, um, Israel, who is God's people, and, and David is, is, is king, and, and they've had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was this big chest that God instructed them to build. It was very ornate and very special for them, and it represents a unique presence of God. Okay, this, this thing called the Ark, this chest, and they had lost it. They had lost it in war. And now David is grieved, and the people are grieved by this, this possession that God had given them as a gift to represent his presence. They would put it in the middle of the temple and, and take it everywhere that they went, and they had lost it. And then, through God's grace, they, they got it back. And so there, there are people carrying it on poles, and, and as they're carrying it into the assembly, the people who are watching, David, this reverent king, he stood in solemn silence and said, this is very good. Some of you who are laughing have read this story. This is, you're, you're giving them spoiler alerts. He didn't do that at all. He was so excited and emphatic, he began to dance. And he danced and he danced and he danced till his clothes came off. I don't even know how that happens. Don't do that. But it's a pretty good example of someone who is passionate about worshiping God. This is what we do. We are the people who proclaim his praises on this earth. We are the people who proclaim his praises in Portland, right here in the Hollywood district. We say our God is good, he is great, he is worth following. We are people who worship God. We are people who also who build up one another. As I think about these, these, uh, these first century Christians, and, and, and I try to imagine what they must have experienced to be isolated and alienated. Many of them, when they made the decision to follow Jesus, they were also, by default, making the decision to leave their family because their family would reject them. Some of them, their, their vocation would reject them. The way that they always made a living was at stake now because they chose to follow Jesus. And, and, and yet, everything that it cost them, what they gained was so much more. The relationships that it cost them, the opportunities that cost them were, were real and they were cost, but, but what they gained was something more and something beautiful. I think about in, in, in our city and in ways, in a lot of ways, we're not like uh, first century, um, uh, the first century church and, and we're not conquered by someone else, but, but there are ways that we are similar and that, that there is a, a, uh, a default to think about self and self-preservation and self-promotion and self-trusting as a way of negotiating and navigating through life. And, and the problem with living that kind of life is it, is it leads you to be a very lonely person. I, I, I see this in our city. I see people who have trusted self so much, they're, they're isolated and they're lonely and they're cut off. And what it means to be the church is that we, we release self and step into truer and authentic community where we find belonging and where we're built up. Look at this in, in Galatians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there, but I'm going to go there quickly. In Galatians chapter 3, this is another written, uh, letter written by someone different, um, but, but in a similar situation to a young church, and it says in verse 26, So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith, which is another way of saying you're, you're God's people, you're the church. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. The word Gentile means non-Jew. So there's neither Jew or non-Jew. That covers everyone. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ 
Jesus. Look at this kind of community. Man, I, in, in first century uh, Turkey, I might have been suppressed and I might be cast as some kind of slave and I'm working away and I really have no control of my life. But when I step into this community of God's people, I am not that anymore. I belong. There's a sense of belonging, a sense that, that I'm not defined by my lot in life. I'm not defined by anything. Our value matters here. We are equal here. We have a sense of belonging. I want to share something with you, and I, I got permission to share this. Um, this was an email uh, that, that was sent out um, by someone. It was a, a, a family who's newer, uh, newer to Mosaic, newer, newer to the faith, and they had joined a community, one of our Mosaic communities, and it's, it's just been a blessing for them. And, and this is what they say. I, I've taken their names out, but it says, We both wanted to take a moment to express how joyful and grateful we are for spending time with all of you. They sent this to everyone in the community. Everyone has been so warm and welcoming and just so damn cool to us. Our family has come away from every gathering feeling a genuine sense of acceptedness and belonging. And we wanted to take a moment to say to each of you, thank you for your willingness to make us part of your heart. Most importantly, we remind ourselves to thank God just how much better our lives are becoming. Listen to those words. Most importantly, we want to take a moment to thank God for just how much better our lives are becoming. It has been moving. Anyways, we are just obnoxiously thrilled and wanted to say so. <laughs> I know this family. Yeah, it's a cool story. I know this family. I know the cost that they have had to bear to follow Jesus. And yet, it's being displaced with this deep sense of belonging. This is what we do. We build up one another. Hebrews 10 says it explicitly. It says in, in uh, starting verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess for he whose promise is faithful and let us consider how we may spur on one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. This is what we do. This is what it means to be the church, a sense of belonging where we are building up one another. And Peter, in this passage I had just read, gets very prescriptive on, on, on what are some of the virtues in a, in a place where there is belonging and where there is building up. And he, he says, firstly, be like-minded. Be like, now, he's not, he's not suggesting that we have group thought and that we're, we're monolithic and we all think the same and do the same and dress the same and, and all these things. No, that's, that's not at all what he's, he's communicating. He's communicating, be like-minded and having the mindset of Christ. That, that if I have my heart and mindset on Christ, and, and you have your heart and mindset on Christ, and you have your heart and mindset on Christ, and as we are moving in this direction, we are going to find unity. We're going to find a single-mindedness in that. As we've taught through Peter, we keep referencing that, that passage in Philippians 2 where it talks about Jesus and his mindset. And what kind of mindset did Jesus have? It says in Philippians 2 that he had the mindset of a servant, where, where he wasn't here to promote himself. He, he was actually here to serve others, to defer to you, to be selfless, to be generous, to be giving. That's the mindset that Jesus had. The, the, the imagery that comes to mind when I think about this is a four-way stop in Portland. You know what I'm talking about. 
everyone gets there. This has happened to me. Everyone gets there at the same time. And, oh, no, no, you. No, 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 you first. You go. No, 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 you go. You go. And then someone finally starts to go, and then they go, and it's like, oh, no, I don't know what's going on. And then finally someone from California is just like, <laughs> just leading the way. But this is the picture that I, I'm not here for me first, that I'm not here for my needs first, for my will first, that, that, that Jesus led us an example of deferring to others, serving others, to be like-minded, to love one another, and to be sympathetic. Sympathetic. This, this idea of sympathy that he communicates, that Peter writes, isn't just that we have pity for one another. It's sympathy through the lens of the redemptive power of the gospel. That this, this should be the place, the safest place in the city to be a broken person. That these should be the safest people in the city to be a shattered, broken, needful person. Not just because we feel bad for each other, but because we see each other through the redemptive power of what Jesus can do with a life. So that no matter who walks into this building, they're not beyond the reach of Jesus. And so he says, be, be sympathetic and love one another. A great example of this is in uh, John chapter 13. And, and oftentimes when we think about what it means to love one another, we reduce that down to, to an emotional connectivity that we have. But it actually is so much deeper and richer in this. And Jesus gives us an example. He's with his disciples in the upper room and he's getting ready uh, to face the cross. And he's having this final moment, this intimate moment with his disciples. And he says this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That sounds amazing, but, but do you realize as he is saying these words, his disciples' feet are probably still drying off a little bit because the leader, the, the, the son of God, had just got down on his hands and knees and washed their feet. And so as he's saying these words, he just gave them context. Loving one another looks like what I just did for you. Now, it doesn't make sense. He's the leader of the group. He shouldn't be the one washing feet. These people wear sandals. Their feet are nasty. They're walking around in dirt places, and this is a low uh, activity, and yet the leader, the king, says, this is my commandment. Just as I have loved you, just as I have served you, that you would love one another. And then Peter lastly says this, and have compassion and be humble, choosing to bless one another instead of vengeance. So he's, he's letting us know, you know, I, the world has a way of dealing with offense, right? There, there's a way of living guarded. There's a way of getting back with them. Um, I, I know we, we have a lot of Damian Lillard fans here, um, and I follow Damian Lillard on social media, and last week, Shaq called him out. Did, did you guys watch this? If you don't know who these people are, it doesn't matter. Shaq called him out online, and it was this whole thing, and Damian Lillard responded with a rap that he wrote to get back to Shaq, and it was just like this back and forth, back and forth, and, and it was kind of a silly thing, but it, it, it kind of encapsulates how so much of our world deals with conflict and offense. You, you step on my toes, I'm going to step on your toes, and probably a little bit harder, and, and Peter references Psalms 34, and he says, it's not to be that way here. It's not to be that way in God's community. He says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. 
in this community where we are called to love one another and to be sympathetic, giving space for one another, we don't seek vengeance. We choose peace and we choose love. And there's even a warning. And he tells us, listen, if you're caught up and constantly defending yourself the way that the world does, you might be missing out on God's attentive ears to your prayers. You might be missing out on God's attentive ears, his listening ears to your prayers. This is who we are. We are people who worship God. We are people who are built up by one another. And we are people for the mission of Jesus. That, that we have a mission. Jesus says in, in, in John 4 that he came to seek and save the lost. And as we step into his community and become his people, we assume that mission. It's something we do collectively. Every Sunday morning that, that you come here, there, there is people who on mission for Jesus have come here much earlier and start preparing things. They make this place clean and presentable. They learn songs. They, they uh, work on, on curriculum for our kids. Um, they, they're getting cups of coffee so that people, as they come into uh, this place from the city, they feel welcomed and they feel like they belong. And this is one of the ways that we engage in mission in the city. We also do this individually, that we are called to be witnesses in every place that we're in. We're witnesses at our fam- with our families, at our works, at our school, at the places that we spend time. We are on mission with Jesus. Now for us here in, in, in Portland in, in 2019, some of this language that we read about suffering and fear and threats, we, we experience some of that, but, but we probably experience it more at a social level, uh, maybe more at an emotional level. You know, people uh, who are saying things about the church, who are saying things about our God and, and those kinds of things, but, but we have brothers and sisters around the world in Christ who experience this in a, in a much more uh, threatening way. One of our, our, our ministry partners, Haiti Foundation of Hope, is, is someone who we've been in, in contact with for years, and there, there, there are people there who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and I've asked uh, Katie to come today and to share a little bit about what's going on there and uh, how Haiti Foundation of Hope is responding. So let's, let's welcome Katie. How are you doing, Katie? Good. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Uh, firstly, Katie, you've you've been around Mosaic a long time, right? Like uh, nine nine years, eight nine, nine years. ten years. That seems like when you're as young as me, that just seems like a really long time. <laughs> hey, um, tell us a little bit about Haiti Foundation of Hope. Yep. Uh, so Haiti Foundation of Hope is a nonprofit that serves um, a specific population in northern Haiti. So Haiti is uh, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Um, so we work in an area called Terre Blanche in northern Haiti, uh, and we work to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of those people. And we do that in um, uh, some, some specific ways. Um, education, so there's a school, uh, preschool, all the way through a secondary school, which is the equivalent of high school. There's also a women's trade school, so women who graduate from that then have an opportunity to do some more education. Um, also a medical clinic. So we have a medical clinic, a brick and mortar. Um, it's open 24-7, staffed by Haitian professionals in that area. We also have a community health program. Uh, so we have uh, a, the local church in that area, people like you sitting in these pews who have volunteered their time to go and to seek out their neighbors to tell them about basic health needs and 
the love of Jesus. Um, and then also Haiti Foundation of Hope sends visiting teams to this area four times a year for encouragement, education, um, and support that way. That's awesome. Uh, Katie, you, you've shared that you got into the medical field kind of as, as a means of, of serving um, globally in this way. For you personally, uh, you, you've been to Haiti several times. Um, what, what keeps you going back? Yeah. Uh, so nursing is what probably the reason that I went. Um, but what I realized as I've gone back again and again and again is um, being able to see the church and Jesus followers in Haiti love their neighbors is what's kept me going back. I actually think that I... Uh, one of the reasons that Jesus called me to Haiti was so that I could learn how to be a better neighbor here, how I could learn to be on mission at the job that I do at Prof Portland, um, and I learned that from them. So Haiti, um, being the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, we, we don't always hear a lot about what's going on there. Um, can you catch us up what this last year has looked like for them, and also how the, the church has responded this last year? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think there will be a slide up. It's really hard to get information from Haiti unless you live in Florida. So you could go to, you know, look at all the Miami newspapers and you might hear something about it. Um, our website will be up there for our foundation. We are getting updates, so reference that if you want to know more. This past year, um, in early in the year, January, February, a report came out that indicated that the current president and a lot of the government in Haiti has been involved in money laundering, specific money that was supposed to be used for development for the people. Um, so for infrastructure, education, um, and the people are now calling uh, them to accountability with that. Where, where are these things? Where's the money? and they've asked for the president to resign. So starting in January and February, their way of doing that have, has been demonstrations, uh, which at times have been violent enough to shut down um, the basic function of a country. So in February, there was about a 10-day period where things were locked down. That has kind of on and off happened throughout the year. Um, and then in September, uh, they have been in a perpetual state of lockdown. So that means uh, school did not start for um, almost everybody in Haiti. It means um, if you can get to a hospital, there aren't necessarily people to care for you or resources to do that. Um, it means banks are closed. Uh, and the, the main highway that goes through Haiti is where most of the demonstrations happen, and it is very unsafe to go out. So there are moments of reprieve where people who are locking themselves in their homes to stay safe go out and they're attempting to try to find food and water, which is becoming increasingly scarce. Um, fuel into the country is also decreasing as well. Um, so that's what's happening in Haiti. And what's happening in Terre Blanche is different. So um, in Terre Blanche, our, our pastor um, partner in Haiti has been able to give us information and he says, I'm so thankful to be locked down in Terre Blanche. Because in Terre Blanche, the school opened, the clinic is open, um, there are community health workers, again, people like you who are trying to survive day to day, who are still going to see their neighbors and finding them in even worse conditions than they are. So they have their own families to provide for, and yet they're still choosing to go and to find their neighbors and to share what they have mm -hmm. with them. Um, this morning, the church met. 
the same worship that we're doing here. These people are choosing to identify themselves first as Jesus followers, not as Haitians. And it's incredible and humbling and uh, wonderful to get to hear their stories. Um, so we are getting updated regularly as Delamy is able um, with little snippets and stories of Jesus followers who are choosing to love their neighbors in a really challenging and scary, difficult time in their country. Yeah, when we talk about um, a living hope in the face of uncertainty and suffering, uh, and we reference this first-generation church, that, that can sometimes feel like a long distance from us or far away or a reality that we don't know, but there are people who are experiencing that now, and, and um, part of why we want to invite KD up here today to, to tell about this ministry partner that we have, but also just to, to highlight that, that the church is, is still thriving and growing everywhere. Uh, Katie, would you, would you pray um, for Haiti and for the church of Haiti? Father God, um, I am so thankful to know uh, that this morning church gathered in Terre Blanche, in, uh, in the neighboring villages, um, that people who are suffering so much right now um, are choosing to identify themselves as followers of you, a good God um, that has a living hope for them. Um, Jesus, I pray that you would bring peace. I pray that um, their worship and their choice, individual choices, to uh, call you Lord um, and to worship in, in the midst of this uh, would be a light in, in darkness in this country, um, and not just in Terre Blanche, but the Church of Haiti um, in different places as they proclaim your name, um, that darkness would flee. God, we um, ask your protection, and we pray for peace for our friends in Haiti. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, Katie. Thank you. Hey, um, being people that are, are called to worship God, we're, we're going to take some time now to worship. And one of the ways that we do that each and every week is, is through communion. The table that has the elements that represents uh, Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and us proclaiming that is our means of, of salvation. And so I'm going to invite you over the next song or two to come forward and do that. The, the second invitation I want to extend is, is today we, we did talk about the the body of Christ, the godly people, the, the, the church, and, and you might be here and not feel as though you're part of that. And, and I want you to know that's a standing invitation from this church. That's a standing invitation from Jesus. In fact, scripture tells us that, that he knocks on the door of your heart, willing to build community with you, willing to know you, to bring grace and forgiveness. If that's you today, if you want to take that step into relationship with Jesus, we want to help you do it. Um, I'm going to be hanging around right up front. Come, come grab me. Um, you can grab any of our pastors. Come buy coffee and connect. Uh, Jesus is, is inviting you into relationship with him. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that it's, it's powerful and speaks to us and it shapes us. And um, thank you that, that we get to be in awe of you that we get to worship you. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, the grace and the love that you have for us. And the only thing we can do is respond with our worship.